welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and I am coming to you this week from a hotel room just outside of Oslo where I'm working over the weekend, the day before this episode is due to drop. And should I always have gotten into the habit now of waiting as long as I can uh, before doing the intros and the outros, just in case anything happens in the community, somebody comes up with a little bit of news, bit of an event, something like that, very rarely ever happens, but sure, you may as well, uh, rather than just uploading it and having to change things or let people down and that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that you want to be doing. I hope you're well, I'm as busy as BJ's, that's mad altogether, I just realised uh, that next week is so busy, I have, uh, my eldest is graduating from school, and I was thinking, okay, so her mother's coming over from Ireland, or my mother's coming over from Ireland, her mother's already here, and um, I was thinking, and you have to do the catering, and you have to invite people, you have to do things, and then the week after that, it's midsummer, and then there's like, you know, all the Swedes are going to be going on holidays, so everybody wants the work done, you know, if you're working on a story with somebody, whatever, you got to get it done, and if you're looking to interview people for a podcast, because sooner or later, boys, all these will be disappearing off, and you might be going to Ormall, or you might be going to Antrim, but you'll be out of my clutches for a few weeks, and it'll be hard enough for me to get a hold of you, so it's uh, it's going to be a, a tight few weeks now, so if you do get a call, or an SMS, or a Facebook message, or an Instagram message off me in the near future, and I'm asking you to come on the podcast, please do, please do so as quickly as possible, so that I can keep bringing you the podcast throughout the summer, uh, even though people will be away and that kind of thing. So if you have anything timeless that you want to talk about, uh, if you have any stories you want to tell, if you have uh, a business or anything, if you have something that's opening up there, I know my good friend Colin Courtney is opening up something out in Nina's Ham there. I think they actually had a sneak preview there yesterday, but of course I'm on the wrong side of uh, the Swedish-Norwegian border to be able to take part there. So maybe I'll try to nip over there. But yeah, if you have anything going on there, let's uh, let's get a few things, like a, a few recordings sorted out now and take this opportunity and we'll put you on the podcast for the Irish in Sweden. Thanks very much, I have to say, for the generous response over the last few weeks. Things really are taking off. Um, when I spoke to Ivan Keane about uh, brewing there and Claire O'Halloran, of course, about uh, her restaurant in Ianni there on Timmermansgata uh, in Stockholm, uh, it's brilliant because like you know they're getting they're telling me that there's a response coming in that people are, are talking to them they're looking for their beers and they're booking tables in the restaurant and that kind of thing and that's that's what this podcast is all about it's not just me sitting here waffling for an hour every week it's trying to lift people in the community it's trying to lift businesses in the community and to give people a helping hand to spread the word and I was talking to the person that you're going to hear from today is somebody who's been very involved in doing that since she arrived here about 15 years ago as well and that's Emma Patterson and the conversation that we're about to have Emma is a scientist researcher in uh, nutrition and dietetics I think is uh, the word no doubt you could uh, correct me during the interview if I got that wrong but she's also been very involved in the Swedish Irish Society and some other uh, some other uh, non-profit organisations you know sports clubs that kind of thing as well so we said we talk about that but that's one of those things that we talk about is you know so she was talking to me afterwards about the podcast and saying that now that she's the treasurer in the Swedish Irish Society she was saying what can we do to help you and I was saying well just keep telling people about the podcast because it's heartbreaking for everybody who has a business or everybody who's doing something where they're they're dependent on reaching people, right? Like Claire, or like Ivan, or like Dermot with the brewery down below in Skåne, or, or Kieran Blake and the lads with the, the brewery in Strengness, right? And, you know, when you're, you're talking to people, like, oh, oh, yeah, Jason, no, I didn't know you had a podcast, or I didn't know you had a brewery, or I didn't know you had a pub or a restaurant. And a little bit inside you dies because you spend so much time trying to reach everybody. And you get to the point where you think, well, yeah, but does everybody know where I am now? You know, do, should I be doing something else? And, that? and there's always new people coming in and out. So talking about these things these businesses that we bring up sharing the podcast episodes a great way to do it as well it certainly helps me a whole lot uh, you can always go into patreon.com forward slash arrowman in stockholm and throw in a few bob every month there throw in a fiver a month there you get somewhere between eight and a million podcasts every month depending on what fucking overtakes my my, <laughs> my mind at that point um you can also sponsor the podcast as has been done by martin hessian from veer slums uh, the best irish pub in the world not just in sweden right uh, james linus very generously made a contribution there he has his uh, charcoal on sale now with various different wholesalers around the place so if you have a restaurant and you're doing barbecue and that kind of thing get in touch with James James has a finger in many pies which I suppose is not surprising since he too is a chef so yeah if uh, if you want to support the podcast in that way but do look at you know we need to support each other's businesses we need to support each other's initiatives your soccer clubs your rugby teams all that kind of thing that's what community is boys and girls and for a further discussion on community let me shut up waffling now and bring you the magical Emma Patterson somebody that I've been uh, in touch with for a while we just we couldn't find a date but she came down to the studio there the other day and we had a lovely old chat and sure here it is
let's go nuts all together. I always find out when we're starting these conversations, yeah. just press the button, right? Because otherwise we'll just talk about all the interesting stuff and there'll be nothing left That's on true. the podcast. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of things, Emma, because you're involved in a lot of different uh, organisations here in Sweden, have been for a long time. But could we start with how you came to be in Sweden mm? at all? <laughs> yes, I sometimes wonder. Uh, I came as an exchange student mm-hmm. uh, and I failed. In exchange for what? Exactly. Uh, it, was a, it was a failed exchange because I came and, and uh, I never left. So... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like some sort of hostage yeah, thing. Bit, yeah, well, yeah. Who were you exchanging with? Was there a, a, a Swedish student that went to, to Dublin then as well? They called it an exchange student, but it, well, yeah, it, was, it was an attempt to uh, encourage collaboration between DIT and Karolinska Institute. Yeah. But there wasn't a, it wasn't a one-for-one one exchange. Uh, but I was one of several Irish people who came here and to do some to study at KI and ended up uh, staying for yeah. quite a long time. What were you studying at the DIT back in the day? Nutrition and dietetics. Nutrition and dietetics. Mm-hmm. And you, you got this opportunity to come to Sweden. Did you think you were going to Switzerland as well? As many people <laughs> No, I think the choice was between Sweden and Texas, I think. So my life could have gone very differently. Oh my God. You could be sitting here with a completely different hat on, basically. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. I'm so glad. I, and I, uh, I liked it so much. I had, a, I had a ball those three months that I was here that when I got the chance to come back then and just do another three months months I was like oh yeah sure and that became another three months and it just just kept going, going. And then it, mm. what was it when you came over here for the first time had you been outside of Ireland a lot before that had Not you seen much of the world no, no I hadn't I hadn't I'd been abroad once I think beforehand what, what, what's, what stuck out about this place then when you got here I don't know I think it was as an exchange student you're thrown into a like I, I lived in a student corridor you know I had the full mm. student experience with loads of people from international from all over the world there and that was all that was really exciting and then I got a chance to to go on really uh, subsidized trips I went to a trip to Norland I fell in love went up to Obisco Ob- fell in love with Norland well, uh, up to Obisco uh, saw the Northern Lights I was just sold that's sold. it done. yeah yeah you so um, you kind of get the idea they're showing off when the Northern Lights show up just when you were there. You uh, know, yeah, somebody's flicking a switch. It, it felt like that actually. Yeah, yeah, in a hot tub in Northern Lights. So I had such fantastic experiences that first time. It was a, a no-brainer to come back. Yeah. And I also wanted to do research, and I got a chance, which is pretty rare. Yeah. What was the actual the studying like, right? Because I, you know, I love the Erasmus students, or like you know, like my own children a lot of the time because we've had them in the Stockholm games now. I have to tell you, do you wonder like exactly how much work is getting done? Did you get involved in anything? Did you get to know people in your field in the first three months that you were Not here? really, no. I came to do a project, a student project. So yeah. it was a very well-defined. So I was, uh, I had some Swedish colleagues, all right, but, you know, it was very, it was a very well-defined project. Mm. So, uh, no, I, did, I wasn't attending classes or anything like that. You just got stuck into doing the work that you needed to do yeah. for that project. Yeah, and that pretty much. When you went home again, you're from Dublin, aren't you? Ish. Ish. Right, go on, tell that story just for the crack. <laughs> I grew up in Dublin, but I grew up in Dublin to parents who are from Cork. Uh, so there was always one foot in Cork. And now they live in Cork. So when I go back, it's Cork. It's, home, it's Cork. It's Cork, Cork now. Right. Yeah, yeah. And if you were going to Cork Park on a Sunday, uh, you would be the Cork jersey. I would have on. the Cork jersey on. Absolutely, no question. This is a podcast, so I'm just going to have to describe for the listeners now how your eyes widened <laughs> at the idea of even ha- ever having to wear a Dublin jersey. So we'll just park that. Well, I'd be disowned by the whole family, so, you know, it's a bit of a risk. <laughs> there is. There's a Cormac O'Sullivan who lives down below now in Helsing Boy. And he's like, you know, he's Dublin born and bred. The accent, like yourself, you know, you wouldn't hear anything of it. And the next thing then he shows up to train in a Kerry jersey is like okay what class of identity crisis is going on here so small identity crisis yeah we're yeah. well aware of it and um, when you went back to Dublin then and you went back to your studies in, in DIT was there kind of a part of you going I, I just have to get back there I had so much fun over there that I need to, to go there again no it kind of came uh, it wasn't quite like that because I my, my it was one of the last things that I did mm-hmm. uh, it was the ex- project and then I went back for a couple of more months and then very quickly I got a chance to come back again. So I hadn't even, I hadn't really considered it. It wasn't even planned. Yeah. Uh, I, that's kind of been a bit of a theme uh, through in how, how things have gone. Like just, okay, take a chance if it comes along. Yeah. There's so no, I wasn't planning it. No plan. No, no plan. Like that, no. <laughs> nope. Tell me a little bit about the field, right? Because nutrition and dietetics. Mm. Okay. I get the first word. I know what that means. What's dietetics when it's at home? Interesting. Some people have it the other way around. In Sweden, uh, they understand what di- uh, a dietitian does, but nutrition is a foreign word for them. Um, so uh, d- nutrition is a study of, of uh, what nutrients the body needs to, to be healthy and how we get them and how we process them and what they're in and what foods we need to eat. And then dietetics is a more special specialized section of that which is how uh, people with medical conditions need to eat so uh, a lot of dietitians would work with very common diseases like diabetes or heart disease and uh, kidney people with kidney problems and Mm. the whole spectrum yeah 
Would there be a lot to do with allergies and that kind of thing in there? Yeah, as well, they'd help treat yeah. allergies as well. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. I'm just thinking of how many people are going to listen to be listening to this now, and they're going, "Oh yeah, no, is it too late for sort of Beach Body 2023?" Does that come into it? Like, it's that's not what it is, right? Really? I mean, no. Well, I mean, diet, diet, dietitians would definitely uh, be experts in helping people uh, coming up with ways of eating in a way that um that they could reach a more healthy weight if that's what they want to do yeah uh dietetics so they, they specialize in both what you need to eat to be healthy but also dietetics dietitians have a fantastic understanding of like what else affects your choice of food you know mm. you have it's it's very person-centered uh so you don't just hand out a list of foods to eat and avoid you really have to take a holistic perspective and understand where the person is and what what uh, what resources they have and what's making it difficult and hmm. uh, an understanding and that's what I really like is the idea of public health nutrition because that's what I work with yeah now it's like what forms our choices well how is society formed uh, why do we eat the way we do yeah and what forces are uh, uh, influencing that it's not just individual choice yeah of course one of the things that most people will be aware of over the last while is this whole cost of living crisis mm. and it was one of those really fucking annoying articles in the paper recently well you know rice is only pe- pennies for the kid and I can't th- you're shaking your head there um, what is it that forms how much does the wallet play a part how much does our own personality play a part is there a difference that like you know if Gav, Gav Boland who works down at Absolute there fine handsome young man does a lot of training right he could probably eat a big plate of spuds and it won't make any difference to him and I might eat it and I'll end up overweight in two days kind of thing so is there is is it very individual in that way? What are the kind of things in our everyday lives that form that? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, what det- determines your weight, for example, is very much genetically determined. Uh, body size and body f- physical activity. Uh, your size is basically the biggest uh, determinant. Yeah. And then how active you are and then a lot of metabolical or genetic uh, predisposition. But when it comes to food choices, yeah, there's pers- personal preference. Uh, there's also what you can afford. There's also what's convenient. You know, if someone who's working a lot is going to have a different way of thinking when they're standing in the supermarket than someone who's got lots of free time. Mm-hmm. So everything plays a, a role. Uh, you know, how many people, other people you're cooking for, all the preferences in the family to take account of, you know, that, all that plays a different uh, role. But also, you know, how the supermarkets are formed, what, what advertising we're exposed to. The foods that are generally less healthy for us are the ones that we see marketed more. Uh, the ones that are we should be eating a bit more of are less marketed. So, like, there's a lot of factors. You know, it's it's tough to navigate. Do you notice a big difference? Because it struck me there a little while ago when I was back in Ireland that the supermarkets look a little bit different, right? And two things that stuck out to me was the amount of sort of. Um, Guilty pleasures, right? Chocolate mm. and and small fun size is the is the thing, right? You don't really see as much of that over here. Is that a cultural difference between Ireland and Sweden? And is there anything else you've noticed that's different between the two? That's a good observation. Yeah, one of the things I love to do when I go on holidays is to go into supermarkets. Total nerd there, but yeah, you can you can never switch off like no, exactly. But you can learn an awful lot about a culture and a society, but you know, uh, by going to a supermarket. Yeah, but that's a really interesting observation. So like um, crisps packets are sold here they're generally the bigger packets yeah. they're not sold like lunchbox size they're not sold to be eaten with P- your lunch size, yeah, like, yeah, no. yeah um you might think that encourages more eating and maybe it, maybe it does but it's just that they, those fun sizes those small sizes those lunchbox size uh penguin bars and those things they don't really they're not here as much because they're not mm. they, there isn't we don't have that lunchbox culture um so yeah that's one difference um what else is different uh fried foods are far less common here yeah, there's not that much of that. No, now, like, you know. no. Yeah, you know, meatballs might hit the pan, and I'd be it. Like, you yeah, know? you'd be hard to find, hard pressed to find a good chipper here, wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly. There is a van wandering around this outside of Stockholm. I know there's definitely one in Helsinki as well, and there might be one down the mountain. There is one. Yeah, there is indeed. <laughs> But, but they, they, they are. But they, is that a matter of of culture, of taste, of what's grown up over the years? Because you know there is that you know Talix modelland where you have you know yeah. as much carbohydrates as you have protein as you have vegetables. Is that something that you adhere to in your scientific stance? In my scientific stance, yes, it is, of course. But in your everyday life, not <laughs> no, so much. No, no. <laughs> um, but I worked with that one difference, in, in one big cultural difference, and you notice that Swedes often eat a, a warm meal at lunchtime. Yeah, right. Totally alien to us. And I think they think sandwiches, you know, are, is not a proper meal. But that comes from the school culture. Yeah. That comes, that, that's something, that's a typical example of something that you grow up with. So uh, Swedish adults will typically want a warm prepared meal at lunchtime. And that's because they're so used to it from school. Yeah. And that's, I studied school meal quality in Sweden for, for 10 or 8 years. Yeah. Uh, and that was fascinating coming from a, from a land with zero uh, school meals to a land which has, is pretty unique in the world with having free school lunches. Yeah. 
Uh, is that one of those things that you would like to sort of copy paste onto Irish society? Yeah. I Nodding think. furiously there, Patterson. <laughs> I think it is. A, it's a great system. It's a really great system. I'm Why? sure every parent here appreciates how easy it makes life. Yeah. I think my poor mother making sandwiches every day for God knows how many years. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, it's a really good system. It's a really equalizer. Mm. Uh, so you, go, you don't have kids coming to school with the jam sandwiches and the cu- kids coming to, soon, to school with the chicken coleslaw sandwiches. Mm. Everyone gets a chance to eat something decent in the middle of the day. And I think it's really good, really important. Is it very important for education as well? Because I've heard teachers say that, you know, sometimes, you know, if you have kids who are um, observant Muslims during Ramadan, to example, uh, for example, like the older kids, and they, they, then they don't eat and their brains just do not function whatsoever. Like, so is it very important that, you know, that you, you eat a breakfast in the morning when you're going to school, that you eat your lunch when it's offered? It's that? very distracting to be hungry. I mean, on a basic level, it's pretty distracting. Uh, it's hard to concentrate when you're hungry. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and it's also, so there's also the, the aspect of what nutrients you're getting when you're eating. Yeah, sure. But it's all also the culture uh, a, so- a social event uh, a chance to mix with teachers mm. um, schools that have implemented school meals you know have, or old schools have school meals but schools that have worked with it and um, really put a big effort into it will often say that you know the environment the the uh, just the environment in the school gets a bit calmer and there's yeah, more yeah. contact between this uh, but there's very little research done on it. I tried to do some research on it now for a couple of years but uh, it's um it's a lot of anecdotal evidence for still which is a bit of a pity because it would be nice to get some hard hard facts or figures about to show how good it is yeah is that what it is it's very difficult to, to isolate okay you know exactly because everybody is so different you know and one kid might eat one day and they might not eat the next day and exactly kind of thing, you know, yeah so. yeah and you've, you've got a generally well-nourished population anyway of course there are pockets and there are problems absolutely but mm. when you're already fairly well nourished it's hard to show that making them even a little bit better has a, an effect on, on public health so it's quite difficult yeah a lot of factors why do kids hate vegetables? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> You'd be a millionaire. Well, if I, would, I would, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there is actually one explanation, and that's because they're often quite um, bitter uh, compared to, and we're not wired to, we're, we're wired to uh, like salt and sugar and fat. That's it. That's why we have such a hard Thank time. Thank you. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are hard. You blame me. It's your genes. Tremendous. Absolutely. And vegetables tend to be a little bit uh, bitter and, and uh, unappealing and, you know, they're hard. They're there. You need to chew them, and uh, yeah, they're they're not as easy to eat as other vegetables or as other foods. There's a lot of hard work in vegetables that yeah, doesn't maybe bit. exist in a, in a, a hamburger. Yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And sometimes maybe it's uh, the other foods that are naturally tasty. You don't have to prepare them. Where you have to prepare vegetables often, and uh, there's a lot of ways that can go wrong. <laughs> Overcooking, undersalting, you know. So yeah. But a well prepared vegetable is. There you go. Are you, are you vegetarian rat like that yourself? No, mm, I am. Yeah, yeah. there you go now. <laughs> uh, well, look, I mean, the obvious next question is like, you know, where do you get protein from? You know, because there's bound to be a 14 year old somewhere who's going to come home to their mother now after the summer and go, I'm not eating meat anymore, ma'am. And then there's a whole other ball game that opens up there. For them. Yeah, yeah, I did that to my ma as well, yeah. <laughs> she never thanked you for that, I would imagine. <laughs> no, no. Well, she tried to put a positive spin on it and we, we you know, tried different meals and different products and things like that. But uh, it's much easier to be a today than it was then yeah um proteins in pretty much everything uh, so as long as you eat varied diet you're you're uh, fairly covered there we don't have a problem with protein deficiency there are some vit- vit- uh, vitamins and minerals that are mainly found in meat and then you have to think a little bit extra about where you get them from do you would you use supplements now or would you say okay i need something that's uh, that uses has, has these things in it anyway you know I, I try to, but the iron, when it comes to iron and B12, they're pretty, it's, and vitamin D, they're pretty much, they're important to supplement. Uh, it's important for everyone in Sweden who doesn't get a lot of sunshine to take vitamin D, actually. So. Mm. That's one of those things. I think it's given out for, to babies. They give like a, D, a vitamin yeah, D oil exactly. and that kind of That's thing, a, you know. Yeah, I have one last question for you on this subject, right? It's to do with um, glucose and insulin in the blood, right? No, I know you weren't expecting this. It was just one of those things that I was reading the other day. So I'm going to eat you anyway. Uh, I'm going to uh, hit you with it anyway. It's um, one of these things I heard was like, you know, you get these spikes, right? So when yeah. you eat, oh, you know, sugar rich mm. foods mm. and that kind of thing, and then you go crashing mm. and that kind of thing. Mm. Because often we think, I especially think when I'm working, you you mentioned there are people who are very busy and that kind of thing. So if I'm out now, I'm going to be working in Oslo all weekend and I'm going to have a bar of chocolate at some point and I'm going to feel fantastic for 10 minutes and I'm going to feel like garbage for the rest of the day, right? Why is that? I don't know. Uh, it's quite normal normal to spike and to 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 uh to slump and to spike like that um yeah. but is uh, it bad for you to do that though well no there's worse things great, like. no. <laughs> <laughs> there's worse things to be doing but um yeah some some foods are very quickly metabolized you get a bit of a rushed sugar and uh, then it kind of 
wears off fairly quickly. And some people are quite receptive or responsive or susceptible to feeling that effect. Um, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so that's why there's other foods that would release energy more slowly, as we say. And uh, uh, like uh, maybe yogurt, a piece of bread, things like that. They'll they'll give yeah. you a spike, maybe not as quickly. Don't taste as fun though. Zach Elbozadi has convinced me to start eating porridge with a handful of berries in the morning. Good man, Zach. Good man, Zach. There you go. That's credit for that. So, and if he, I was very sort of, I get set in my way, so I'll do the same thing for years on end. And now I'm into the Zach Elbozadi breakfast. And you I can market that. I still can't play football like him. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing know. something wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's still something wrong. There's you know. berries, uh, oats, and what's the other secret ingredient that makes you into a Talons, football player? I think, ah. yeah, no, I don't have that at all. You know? um, what kind of things are you working on? At the moment now because it sounds like a fascinating field altogether we've been talking for 16 minutes about it now already you know so what, what are you what are you up to uh i work at the um uh, swedish food agency mm-hmm. uh so one of the things we're trying to do is measure what people eat and that's a huge huge challenge one of the things we're doing at the moment is measuring what small children eat so we've got a big study going on there where we're trying to measure the diets of four-year-olds 18 month olds and now soon we're going to be trying to get nine month olds to tell us via their parents what they eat uh so we, we've been sending out letters and calling like thousands of families there's probably somebody listening here who's gotten a letter from us uh inviting them to be part of the study uh and all this the reason we do that is so that we need we need uh, good information about what kids are eating so that we can identify maybe problems or things that they're being exposed to that we haven't thought about or areas where they're not getting enough of something then we can target our guidelines and things just to help parents you know make sure that they're giving their kids what they need how much of this is you know public health when you start to talk about those things we think back to the pandemic and people mm-hmm. reacted to oh don't be telling me what to put in my body and this kind of thing you know do you get a lot of people who sort of object to being told anything at all kind of thing absolutely yeah yeah i mean Food is one of the most intimate subjects for us Yeah. Uh, as humans. I mean, you literally put it in your body. I mean, of course, it's intimate. Of course, nobody wants to feel like someone's telling them what to do. Yeah. Uh, totally understandable. Uh, at the same time, we know an awful lot about what foods are generally good for our health and good for the planet and things like that. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, that knowledge doesn't always chime with what people would prefer to be doing. So mm. you're always trying to navigate those two things, you know? It sounds very much like a psychological challenge or a marketing or a communications challenge almost more so than a scientific one. Do you have any input other than the results of your research that you say, look, at you know, we maybe should be saying to the mothers of our fathers of nine month old children that, you know, maybe you need to think of it this way kind of thing? Uh, that's my, uh, I leave that up to my colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely. Yeah, no, that's definitely something that has to be taken into consideration. Yeah, yeah. it's like, how do you form uh, guidelines and things that are, you know, supportive, that are helpful, it's supposed to be helpful, not, not, it's not a carrot. It's the carrot method rather than the stick method. Yeah. <laughs> pun, excuse the pun. But yeah. Yeah, you got right back. You're doing that wrong. Nobody no, really appreciates no, 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 that. No, kind no, of no, no. That's not the way we want to work. Either. How long have you been in Sweden now? When was the first three months? Uh, oh, that was exchange? 2005. 2005? Yeah, 18 years. My God. It feels like five minutes, doesn't uh, it? Sometimes it does, yeah. yeah I, I yeah. was here 24 years yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Since I moved it. Well, it's I know, up. it's a kind of a strange anniversary, isn't it? It's like, oh, how did that, how do we get on to another year? I, I feel like one of those hostages in Beirut changed to a radiator on some days, but no, it's been magnificent altogether. Yeah. Um, in the, How quickly did you settle here, right? Because we wanted to get onto the subject of the amount of different things that you're worse than me for the amount of things that you're involved in. And <laughs> I saw that the reason we're talking today, because we talked about this a long time ago, let's lift the lid on this, right? Uh, I saw on Facebook that you were away kayaking. I was going, well, of course she is, because that's exactly the kind of thing that I was going to do. How long did it take you to find your way into community groups and these kinds of things? Quite long, because another group that we're probably going to mention is uh, the Swedish Irish Society. Yeah, I've heard of them, yeah. I just (laughs) really... And you know, other people have heard of them thanks to your podcast. (laughs) We get onto that. But um, I just realised yesterday that I was eight years in Sweden before I got involved in the Swedish Irish Society. Stuff as an on, example yeah. so yeah so it took me a long time to get involved in organizations and uh, the kayaking organization uh, was only was, was even after that so yeah quite a long time actually mm. um and it's kind of something that i realized i should have kind of it would have been good if i'd done earlier mm. so um now i'm kind of encouraging other people to do it. Did, did you sort of not feel a need for that in the beginning or you know did you have people that you worked with you studied with you had a, a group of friends that you didn't really feel that you needed that sort of safety net that we have in the Swedish Irish society exactly um I think I was yeah I think I got my Irish fix uh from other like I said I was a, one of a number of Irish students who came over from DIT around mm. that time so um there was quite a few people here in the same boat as me 
And uh, but another thing was I didn't <laughs> contradictorily I didn't really want to I wasn't searching out for Irish people yeah. I wanted to give it a chance to settle I wanted to be you know get stuck into Swedish life and I wanted to I didn't want to be feeling like I was uh, had one foot uh, even though I didn't have a plan to stay long term I still just wanted to I wasn't searching for Irish people I didn't hang out in Irish bars like I wasn't searching them out yeah at the same time I had good contact with other friends who were Irish so. Uh, mm. Uh, so I got my, like I said, I got my Irish fix. I could talk Irish. I could talk about things that only Irish people would understand. But at the same time, I wasn't really searching for it. If yeah. You know what I, mean. I often said if I wanted to meet Irish people, I would have stayed in Ireland kind of thing. You know, so yeah. at, at that point when you're trying to yeah. get into Swedish society and that kind of thing. A little bit. Um, at the work you were doing at the time uh, when you were studying and doing research and that kind of thing, did you quickly start to learn the Swedish language? Um, one of the things I started doing was reading the Metro on Tunnelbach. Do you remember that? Jesus, that was like, that, that taught so many of us Swedish. Didn't it, it did. I, it was so sad when it, when it disappeared for that reason alone. Um, yeah. I, that's how I picked it, started picking it up. And then I had, what really needs, uh, what really helps you kind of get going is to have a, a patient colleague or a patient <laughs> friend. Honestly, yeah. one that you don't, one that you feel comfortable around. Yeah. Let's be very specific now, right? Not a patient partner, boys and girls. Don't be sitting there thinking the person you're sharing a bed with is your teacher, right? Because if that happens, you're in a whole other world of trouble. But that yep. Metro newspaper, I still remember the green masthead and it was free in all the Tunnelbond and Pendletoy stations and this kind of thing, right? So with all of these things knocking around and it was fairly simple, those things. So, you know, it was very simple Swedish and it would be stuff that you knew was happening in the world because you'd seen it on Euro News or or, you know, you might have seen it on the, you know the on the internet somewhere. So it was an absolutely brilliant resource. Jeez, I wonder what people are doing now that it doesn't exist anymore. You know? Internet, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, jeez, worse luck. <laughs> um, who was the colleague? Was there one specific person who took it upon themselves to teach you to speak Swedish? Uh, yeah, I had one colleague who, um, uh, Patrick Berryman. Yep. Hi, Patrick. And uh, another uh, supervisor uh, who came on board, uh, Julia Barnby. Yeah. So um, yeah, they were fantastic. Were they very hard on you? Were they? No, that was it. They were they were lovely. They were they nice were just, to you. They were gentle. There they were go. so patient. Nice gentle. It's it's like the food thing. Nobody likes to be told that you're doing these things all no, wrong and no, that kind of no. thing. You know. Um, you mentioned eight years, so that would take us to 2013, and you got involved in the Swedish Irish mm. Society. And I think relatively soon after that, you found yourself becoming the chairperson of the whole thing. <laughs> Ridiculously, that may quickly. that may or may not have been my fault at the time, right? We were, oh, <laughs> we I was always blaming Teresa for that. Yeah, well, look at you know. Let, let's not name any names here, kind of thing. You know. Um, did you the moment you get that job? Right, mm. I often find that you know it's like a Mexican standoff in a movie, you know, where there's all these characters standing around with guns, and the first person to blink gets the job of chairperson of the Swedish Irish Society. Was that how it felt, and did you instantly regret it? <laughs> I did. I I still remember walking in the first meeting because, I, like I said, I hadn't been involved very very often or very long, and um, I still remember walking into the the kitchen in the embassy, the first meeting of the of the um, of the committee. And the expectation, oh my God, because <laughs> I hadn't got anybody, they were kind of desperate. They hadn't got anybody else uh, yeah. to take over. So they were chance, taking that chance on a non, fairly unknown person, to be honest. Uh, so yeah, I still remember vividly that first meeting. Uh, how do those expectations turn out in the end? Because there's been certain periods, right? We've just recently had one of the Stockholm Gales as well, because we're forever looking for new people. I, one of the first things that I understood was that I can't be indispensable, right? Because then the whole thing fails. Mm. And the same thing, you can't mm. be indispensable. Mm. Carmel, who's the chair now, you have to make it so that the organisation survives no matter what happens, right? So exactly. you have to put those structures in place. But there are periods of great change that happen. And you came along at one of those periods of relatively large change you were looking to to appeal to a younger demographic there was a different kind of irish person coming over here with different mm. kinds of needs how did you perceive that at the time how did you approach those things you remember mm. with uh, a vast amount of stress by the look of you uh, <laughs> <laughs> um i think one of the things i did do a lot of work with is is just exactly what you said, putting into place structures, uh, like working on routines and working on, you know, handbooks and working on guidelines and working on things, things that would be in place when, when, when I wasn't there anymore. Uh, and it's, uh, I can still see now, now that I'm back in again, back in the orbit, I can, uh, I can see like they're still in place, which is really, really yeah. nice to know. Um, but yeah, it's, um, the, I don't know if the, when this change happened. Uh, I I don't know when. It's hard to pinpoint that. But yeah, it's it's changed a lot through the years from being a um, a group from uh, of Swedes who are interested in Ireland to being more and more uh, catering to Irish who are in Sweden. Hmm. Uh, and I think it's it's somewhere in between there now. I think I like the society. You know, it's it's not either extreme. It's somewhere in between. You know. Yeah. 
Uh, it's a nice mix. But yeah, there's um, a growing number of Irish in Sweden. Uh, and uh, it's it's, be- it's it's always going to be difficult to attract younger people, though. I yeah. think they're kind of full up, but they have their life. They're pretty full. They've, they're pretty busy. Yeah. Mm. At the same time, I found that, you know, the, the work that you did do to attract those people, I mean, you have uh, the wonderful Sophie Murphy, who's been on this podcast more often than I have at this stage. Um, you know, When you get people like that involved, that... I always say that, like, you know, uh, I'm out in this um, martial arts gym and yeah, I fell and I was mm. going, no, no, I don't want the people who've been doing this for 10 years. I want the beginners because I can have them for life, right? So if we focus on those mm. young people who are here, but then we also have a transient population of young people who might be, you know, two or three years working for board beer, that kind of thing, mm. you know? Um, did you find that the, sort of the second and third generation people coming through now, you know, my kids, Sophie is mm. one of them as mm. well, you know, were they people that just sort of targeted to go, okay, we have to get those people in? Or do, were you that specific about it? Or did you just want to get more people in? Engaged. No, and to be honest, I don't remember. I think she's one of the first second generation, uh, or yeah. she be second generation, first generation, uh, that have become involved. Yeah. Um, but it would be great if we could get more of those. So that's not something I that came along after me. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't notice that change happening. Uh, yeah. All right, in that that period, which was fourteen to eighteen, so it's probably even after that actually. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely more of them around. I know, I know, I know of more of them, and it'd be great to get them involved because uh, it's a great experience being involved in in, in a society. Yeah, uh, it really is. It's good in the old CV. It's good for lots of reasons. Yeah. Did you know anything about what they call Fredernings Leave It in Sweden when you got no, started? No nothing, idea. No, I had nothing. No experience of it. I wasn't involved in the bus that's Fredernings. I wasn't involved in anything before that. Yeah. I went straight in. <laughs> so these are basically the non-profit organisations. Every sports club is one. The yeah. Swedish Irish Society is one. You know, every basically everything is. A, and they have a very specific way of doing things, right? So according to the law, you mm-hmm. have to have your annual general meeting. It mm-hmm. has to be done in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You have to present the accounts. You mm-hmm. have to have election officers. You have to have all these things. Did it take you a long time to get to grips with that because as Irish people we just sit down there and go yeah okay two people but we have an organisation let's go do stuff like yeah it was a it was a great learning curve but it's a you know Sweden prides itself on its democratic uh, how, how it, uh, it protects and, and promotes a democratic way of doing things and this is a perfect example of it yeah. uh, all these societies are supposed to have statutes and they're supposed to be run in a certain way exactly yeah. like you said and the, the whole reason is they're supposed to be open and, and, uh, and uh, democratic and there's a special section of a special Sub subsection of nonprofits, which is for almen almenity, yeah, which yeah. means it's there for the public good. Yeah, uh, which means that we can't, you know, only limit ourselves to Irish citizens or whatever. It's uh, for to be qual- to to qualify as an almenity training. So a, a nonprofit for the for public good. Yeah. it has to be open to everybody. Yeah. And it's really nice. That means all most societies have to be open to everybody. It's pretty cool, all right, because you can't turn people down. No. And if you do, there has to be some sort of, you know, I remember going through this in, in the past. But if you're going to exclude anybody from anything here, it's like, you know, it's a hell of a process to mm. do that, you know. It is. You mentioned that it was a, a big learning curve. Was it very steep for you? Did you find yourself going, oh, I'd like to do this. And then, you know, somebody had been here before. I'm sorry, Miss Patterson, you won't be doing that right now. No, there was definitely people on the committee that had a lot of experience. So it's good. It's great because you don't end up reinventing the wheel you know know, it's a there's a balance between oh we've tried that before it didn't work and you know we've tried that before but maybe we can give it another go yeah but uh it's 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 always good to have people with long experience um but i guess the one of the reasons i was asked to do is because i had quite a bit of project management experience and stuff and then yeah it wasn't that wasn't that it was brilliant because like you know these practical things like you say setting up you know structures and and you know steering documents Mm. and this kind of thing i think the parade despite the fact it's grown so much in the last year it's still basically the same principles that Mm. you were running the whole thing on you know if we zoom out a little bit emma because now you have the swedish irish society you have the various different gaelic football clubs you have the irish chamber of commerce in sweden you have spuds and sill which is you know the the dramatic wing of uh, sis um where do you see that community and how do you see the the sort of cooperation that goes on between them? is that an easy thing because it hasn't always been easy you know I mean there was times when the Stockholm guys were going yeah sweet choice yeah whatever you know and you know very despite the fact that I was involved in both it was very difficult to get the two to meet and do something is that still the way is there more we can do there is there there's definitely more we can do there I mean it's I, I'd even love to hear more about your experience but having a foot in both and still finding it hard yeah it's, <laughs> it's um I'm just going to libel everybody for the rest of the podcast <laughs> 
<laughs> we don't have to get into it now. But uh, yeah, it's it, like you said, you, your own experiences shows it can be really difficult. I, I don't really know why that is. I mean, partly they cater to different people and, and different yeah. interests and different uh, groups. And that's great. That's That means there's something for everybody. Um, sometimes there can, I don't know, there's like perceptions, you know, like the Swedish artists, you know, they're really stuffy and, uh, you know, they're not doing anything fun. They're not yeah. for young people and all that kind of stuff. And the gales are only interested in, I don't know, interested in football and beer or something. I don't know, is, do people have these different perceptions that we need to maybe break them down a bit better? Mm. Uh, we need to have more meetings between the groups. Um, I'm not sure what we should do, really. Yeah, I think joint events. Like when we yeah. had everybody down at the Gaelic football tournaments, yeah. and then you know, it shouldn't only be Gaelic football tournaments, but no. I think the uh, the Chamber of Commerce, for instance, has been trying to attract these young professionals who are over mm. here, even if they're only working for a couple of years, and get them involved. And I think there's a huge benefit to that, you know, Absolutely. and to be seen, you know, not just as just oh, I'm just part of this one specific organisation, but you can be part of all of these mm. things at the same time, kind of thing, you know. Definitely. You mentioned that uh, you took a bit of a break there for a few years. You were involved until 2018, and then you you disappeared if you don't mind me asking you don't have to answer this question did it just get too much or did you just want to do different things uh yeah i needed to take a bit of a break all right uh, were you chairperson for all those years that mm, you were doing it mm, i was yeah for four years and nobody ever comes along and they go oh you know what Emma, if you want a bit of a break i look after <laughs> nobody ever does that do they? um yeah no i mean but uh, the, 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 it's always a balance between you know getting really stuck in and 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 taking a step back and making sure that you don't get too that, like you said at the start you know that you're not too um indispensable yeah 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 um so and it's always you know sometimes i'm you know it's hard to say no sometimes so uh and uh if you have you know if your ambition level is in one place and and maybe everybody you know you're not in sync with everybody else you can end up taking on too much Mm. uh so it was really good to 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 hand it over to to somebody else for a while who was it took over after you uh after me it was paddy who was uh who was uh vice chairperson when i finished yeah and then after that it was Donal, I think, yeah. and then Carmel. So there's been a little bit of continuity. These people were also involved yeah, around yeah, the yeah, same yeah. time. Oh no, it's really thing, solid now. It's great. Like mm. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really solid foundation at the moment. Yeah. As two people who've been, uh, I was chair of the Stockholm Gas for over ten years, I think, and you were four or five years at the head of the Swedish Irish Society. I got the feeling after about five years that okay, I actually have to leave for the good of the organisation, right? And my point was that you can't have one person and one person's ideas being the thing that steers, that steers. It's just, I just don't think it's right. I think at some point, and you get tired as well, you know. I mean, it's great mm. to do the same things and to have those dogs, but you need new ideas coming in and that yeah. kind of thing. Did you feel that as well, you know, when you were sort of walking away, that look, at it's actually time for somebody else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been other uh, chairperson people, chairpersons before uh, who've been, yeah, who've ended up staying like really long time because no one was willing to take over. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and that's a shame because you do you get burnt out then after after a while you know your ideas aren't fresh and and, mm. and you you end up being the one saying no we've done that already yeah uh, and being oh no we have to do that now again yeah, kind of thing, yeah 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 exactly no it's much better to have a turnover you won't turn over but you want continuity at the same time yeah you it won't. has to be a sort of managed process yeah, doesn't yeah, it yeah exactly did you feel guilty when you stepped away absolutely not no, no way no, at all no no I had given it I had given it all for four it years squeezed everything out of it for four years <laughs> yeah yeah and yet now you're back <laughs> In a slightly, uh, in a more supporting way. Slightly more reduced capacity. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what your role is in the committee. I'm the uh, treasurer at the moment. Okay. Mm. That still sounds like one of the most important jobs, the whole thing. Technically it is, yes, it is. It's a big responsibility, Um, especially as the, you know, as the society is growing. It's the biggest now that it's been for quite a little while. Uh, with over 200 members or 200 memberships and some of those are, most of those are families. So it's about 250 members. And uh, which means that there's, yeah, there's a bit a little bit of money to manage and it's, it's important to manage it properly. Mm. And of course, we have uh, very supportive companies here, you know, various mm. times to sponsor this podcast. You have a lot of the companies who are working on data centers in Lulio, Yavla, Vesteros, and I think they're very generous, especially when it comes to the yes. parade. We've had corporate sponsors like Guinness who've been involved in, uh, in the St. Patrick's Day parade with Guinness Zero and that kind of thing. Um, is it like I mean it must be an awful lot more money now knocking around you know is the money only resting in your account or is there a whole load of uh, stuff that has to go into making sure that everything is sort of you know all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed as you said the uh, requirements in Sweden for an association are pretty strict so yeah you have to have your financial accounts in order and you have to have a, um, um, an auditor 
as part of your statutes it'll often state that you need an auditor and that kind of thing so yeah no we have uh, we need to keep our noses clean absolutely yeah. is it still Ulf Anaheim is doing the no auditing? it's not we have a new one this year so, that's amazing because he was around for so long he like, was around for a long time the last couple of years has been a bit of a change but now we have a new one in, in, in order, so I, which means I have to be very careful about what I say today oh, okay that was <laughs> So we're not editing this. This is just gone straight out. Is it a difficult job though, Em? Because like you, you do need this. I think people who don't work with these things don't realize that you, if you spend any money whatsoever, you have to have a piece of paper. You mm-hmm. have to have some sort of receipt or an mm-hmm. invoice, that kind of thing. And if you go to the elder and go, oh yeah, no, uh, that was in my jeans and I put it in the wash, they don't care, do they? <laughs> They're going to go after you. They'll chase you to the end of the earth for that. Yeah, and you have to keep them for seven years as well. Yeah. Does that make your life difficult? Is your apartment full of these things? Full of receipts, no. <laughs> um, but I do make sure to tell people who have receipts, you know you have to keep that in a safe place for seven years. And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, the best to look at that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so now we've... Uh, I'm now I'm so I'm now I'm kind of structuring up the uh, accounting procedures, of yeah. course, because that's what I do. Um, so now we've got like a, a program and an electronic or a, a web-based program for the books and things like that. So I'm yeah. trying I'm trying to put routines in place there as well, so it'll be easier for the next treasurer to come after me and, and continue it on. Yeah, Jesus, the internet has been brilliant for that kind of thing, just making life easier. We <laughs> thought Excel was good, and now you can just scan these receipts and it reads the value. Yeah, we didn't go for the dear one, no. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no we didn't go for the scanning option. Are you, if it wasn't for that here, I'd be in, tr- I'd be in serious <laughs> trouble. I'd be in prison by now. You know? I'm jealous. When you look at the Irish community, because there's been brilliant now, Peter Miller down below in Malmo oh. has, uh, has taken off like a rocket down there, you know, as so I said, an Irish ambassador down there. Um, is that where the growth of the society is going to come yeah. from now? We hope so. Yeah, yeah. I was so happy when Peter emailed in December no in January December I think uh, finally you know we're always every time we send out the, the newsletter it's always you know encouraging people to get in touch with us and stuff and somebody finally did <laughs> somebody answered the call one one uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually two the interesting thing was we got an email from two people in, Ma- in the Malmo region yeah in Scona and, uh, and, uh, and one of them I replied to both super enthusiastic never heard from one of them but, but Miller came back. But here. Miller came back. Yeah. So Peter has, uh, and then he's he's organised three events already. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Um, oh, it's a man's a force in nature. He's There's no method, you know? Uh So I'm like standing here like a cheerleader up and talking, going, "What else do you need? What can we do? What do you want?" And mm. the thing is, we, we and that's exactly what we want to do. Is it's fine. All we need is people on the ground. We have loads of experience. We have ideas. We're like, oh, we did a book swap in Virstums with a breakfast. Find your local pub. Yeah. You know, here's the text. Uh, tell people to bring uh, three or five books. Works well. Like we know what works. And yeah. So and, and it's just it's easy to pretty copy and pa- copy and paste. Yeah. We rented a, a cinema here and uh, got them in. To, got them to hire in a, or got them to to source the the English subtitled version of the Quiet Girl, for example. Yes, yeah, that was back like, in April. Yeah, I mean that was a great idea that someone on the committee had Emma, uh, not me, <laughs> Emma McCluskey. Yeah. Uh, like, so someone can easily just ring their local cinema, see if that's an option. Like, we have all the ideas, we have the suggestions, we can even come with you know we can pay rent for for a Halloween party. If yeah. you know what I mean, uh, we've plenty of resources and ideas. We just need boots on the ground basically you know the way you're a researcher you love crunching the numbers and that kind of thing right <laughs> when you look at the addresses and the geographical spread you know because there was always the thing it was like you know the Stockholm Irish Society because mm. so many of us live here right is there actually a considerable population like a sustainable population in Malmö Gothenburg Westeros Östersund these kinds of places I may have looked at those numbers <laughs> For the sake of GDPR, I can't actually answer that question. Oh, no, no, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. We were allowed to do that. Uh, I'm just saying that's exactly the kind of stupid thing I would do. Yeah, so I have looked at it where our members are, and uh, they are a majority in in Stockholm, of course. Yeah. They are. That's just reality. Um, but we need to, that's that's exactly what our strategy is for this year and the next year as well, I'd say, is, is to try and identify people outside the Stockholm region and just help them exactly what me, Peter's doing and if we can show we're doing it in, 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 uh, in Malmö and it's been a success then there's no reason why so am I, I'm putting that word out please if you're, if you're outside of, if you're anywhere and you want to get involved uh, just drop us a line we, there's no pressure it might not work for you now. It might not suit you to do it now, but we can just set the seeds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the Swedish authorities, right? So I mean, you know, the commune who lived in uh, in Yavla, they were down when it uh, was an LPI were opening an office up there and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Do we have contact for them? Because I know that we've had some great members over the years who are Swedish people who are interested in Irish culture, and they joined the Swedish Irish Society to be part of that. So when Quilty were playing with Andy Irvine, mm-hmm. to, uh, for example, you know, you wouldn't have known half the people there, the Swedish people there, because they've been part of our events for years is that still a source of members and a source of interest because an awful lot of that would have been 
sort of you know Riverdance back in the day, and then before that it would have been Joyce and people who'd studied literature and that kind of thing. Yes. Is there still that stream of people, or is that sort of? There is, but I think it's it's slightly switching over the years to become more of a. There's more Irish people moving to Sweden. I think we're yeah. starting to join uh, because we're probably not doing enough of those events that would appeal to that crowd. We're not yeah. doing the literary events. We're not really doing those kind of things, and maybe that's. That's fine. Maybe there's Uppsala and uh, universities that are yeah, that are looking after those, and the Joycean Society. I think is still going. I think. Yeah. Um. So maybe that's not where our strengths are. Yeah. Uh. And that's okay. Mm. We just need to, like I said, cooperate more. Yeah. What's missing? What do we need to start doing for people? Oh, that's a good question. Let us know. Is the answer there? Oh, cheeky. Honest to God. <laughs> Bring it answer. I have to say. Whatever. There you go. Get in touch with us, please. Let us know what is missing. What mm. do you want from us? Um we're very open um one of the major sources of that irish community that has been built over the last few years is the the international english schools and schools with an mm. english profile right we've had a lot of young teachers uh you know when i say young i'm saying compared to me the fucking gandalf of the community <laughs> at this stage like but you have people coming in there do, is there something that we can do with the schools right you know like as community organizations i often thought and liam kennedy out in uh, in Sponga, Brumma there he did a brilliant thing where he went into one or two schools and taught gaelic games for like you know four wednesdays mm. in a row and that kind of thing is that is that the kind of thing that we should be looking to, to do you know go in and talk about music go in and talk about you know uh, the conflict in Northern Ireland for instance we had the recent anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement are they the kind of thing are we missing a trick by not sort of leveraging to use the modern management word on things like that and if so it's not really the society's no I was just going to think as an Irish community maybe we're missing a few tricks but I don't think you can expect one society to do all that yeah. um, but we'd be very supportive if, if, if we can in, in if other people want to do those kind of things but yeah as an Irish community it's a good question like how can we promote Irish culture uh, and raise awareness of Irish issues that are of interest and of relevance mm. to Swedes uh, in another way yeah, yeah it's a really good question what's the relationship like with the cha- or the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden are they just you know they see you come and they go fuck it just give them a check and get rid of them kind of thing or do you actually do you talk to them on a regular basis because one of the things that, that concerns me right always is the, the well-being of people who are over here working Irish mm-hmm. people who are over mm-hmm. here working because they come in they don't know anything it's like mm-hmm. when you came here your first time you know uh, do you have any contact with them on that level in terms of involvement them in the things that you're doing or do they keep themselves to themselves a little bit yeah we try um i think doing more joint events would be a really good way to yeah. to make a, a natural way of cooperating uh so uh we have tried to do one it didn't pan out uh, but we'll try it again yeah uh but we don't have a lot of co- um uh, connection at the moment yeah no, it's something we could definitely do more of when you're trying to make a connection with them is this uh, Ambassador Gormley and everybody in the embassy trying to pull everybody together or do you do it by yourselves or that kind of thing because there's, a, there's always a lot of talk about it right now you know? there is yeah it's a it's a it's an ongoing theme you know how can we get everyone to work better together and I must say uh, Ambassador Gormley has been really great in that way he's actually you know physically gotten people into the rooms yeah. uh, into a room and gotten them to talk together and that really hasn't happened before as far as I'm aware yeah so that's been that's been really good yeah, uh, so we just hope the new ambassador. I'm sure Doreen there will, like, hand her, give the new ambassador a, a handbook of this is how it's been working really well for uh, <laughs> yeah, so a couple of cue cards. Just keep doing this. Right? Just keep doing yeah, this. That'd, be, that'd right? be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, what? There's two two questions I need to ask about the future before I let you go. Right? What's the future of the Irish community here now? After 15 years of of seeing it change, and in one way it seems like an awful long time, and in another it goes in the blink of an eye. You know, I'm sure you didn't expect us to be sitting here talking specifically on a podcast for the Irish people in Sweden. You know, mm-hmm. even though we've known each other for this long, like <laughs> maybe in one way it was an obvious thing. What do you see as the future of the community here? Are we going to see these companies staying, these families staying? You know, are they going to be part of our lives now for the next 20, 30 years? I'd hope so. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to predict. Uh, the uh, there's been an awful lot of yeah companies coming and expanding and things. It's hard to deny the fact that an economic downturn might you know. Slow that down, slow a, bit, down yeah. a little bit, um, but uh, you know there, there hasn't been a big number of flights, uh, and it hasn't been a lot easier to to, tra- to travel between the two countries. Mm. That's something that might have uh, made it, like I say, what would I say, uh, made it more certain that that's what would happen. At the same time, maybe people don't want to fly as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think certainly think twice before I you know hop yeah. on a flight back to Dublin and that I didn't do when I, when I moved over here I was like oh yeah no problem it's easy to go back and forth God, now yeah. I have to say that I think about it a bit more um so uh, it's hard to know 
And for you personally, the kind of work you do, like I always get the impression that you absolutely love the work that you do, right? Uh, maybe you don't love it every day, <laughs> but you know, for the most part, that you really enjoy I do, what yeah, you're doing. I'm very lucky. Is this where you want to be doing it, or can you see a point? And you know, like you know, people always say to me, "Well, you know, if you would you like to go back to Ireland?" And I go, "Yeah, I'd like to go back to Ireland in the mid '90s when I had no kids, no responsibilities, no money either." Like you know, but still, is is that? Do you see yourself being here for more or less the rest of your life? Then did I mention before that I'm not going to make him plans? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I have no plans oh. I have no plans We'll take it as it comes So this could actually be Your farewell podcast For all we know Oh uh, well <laughs> I hope not Okay I don't no, have no, a plan no, To move yeah, back Before no, the next podcast episode sort of No no. Down, you know? no 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 But, I, uh, but is it even possible In, in academia to, to make those kind of plans Are you sort of You know One of these people Who's dependent on Getting funding every year Every three years For what you're doing uh, I'm actually not I've managed to uh, cull, cull, uh, Find a way of uh, d- Taking a job That's in academically it's an academic type of work but I have a a fixed position and I have 20% research within my employment so dream job altogether sort of unless you want to be doing 100% research which a lot of people do it's a lot more it's a bit more freedom but then you're often in that situation that you mentioned that you're reliant on funding every three to four years and I think it's a tough way to live I respect Big respect to anybody who can do that. But you, you tend to spend, uh, in academia, you spend most of your time actually filling in those bloody applications. <laughs> like, you know, you get the money, you breathe out, you go, okay. Exactly. And I'm so glad to, to, to avoid that. Yeah. But you can see yourself being in Sweden now for the foreseeable future. Well, that's where the, there's really good kayaking here. So, yes. <laughs> when does that season start? Because was it in April, late April there? Yeah, the, we did a Christy Himmelfard tour. Um, so that was late May. So yeah. we, we, as soon as the ice goes, uh, well, as soon as the ice goes, some people hop in. I wait until the water warms up a bit. So I usually start kayaking in May and through to October yeah. or November. I was, talking, I, was, I was talking to Vela Barsley the other day. She's a good friend, Louise Quinn, who plays soccer for Ireland. They play football together for Eskilstuna. And she was out swimming the other day and she said it was a balmy 17 degrees. It's gonna be, you're going to have to wait for a while before you get me in there. But do you enjoy getting out, even if it is a little bit, you know, the water's not that warm and that kind of thing? I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially since I bought a dry suit. <laughs> So is that what keeps you warm? Yep, basically a dry suit means we can be out, you know, when it's colder. Uh, yeah. It's basically, it's a watertight, an airtight uh, suit. Looks yeah. ridic- looks ridiculous, but it's the business. Is it? Yeah. And would yep. you be out for a long time in the water then when you're doing that? Oh, preferably I'm not in the water at all. Or so, on, <laughs> I on like the water. on the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, for someone who likes being on the water as much as I do, I actually hate being in the water. Yeah. So I don't go swimming very often and I definitely don't want to fall in <laughs> if I can avoid it. But that's an occupational hazard of kayaking. It's a it? risk, yeah, 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 yeah. It's only happened to me. I'm here, I'm knocking on wood. Uh, once uh. so we won't be looking to repeat that oh, you, you're you're not racing you're not going out there and going fuff, 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 chasing around no. the place you're bringing a flask of coffee and a sandwich or something like that I'm something bring- very nutritious and dietetic and that kind of thing in there. yeah and, and the wine because there's plenty of room in a kayak and I'm bringing the tent and I'm bringing my sleeping bag and I'm bringing all the food for four days and I'm heading out so you actually just head out mm-hmm. into the archipelago yeah. but is the journey home not really boring when you've seen all these lovely things no uh, no because no, I never recognise where I am <laughs> <laughs> My sambo's like, oh, we passed this rock already. And I'm like, I don't remember. I have no idea. I wasn't. You were sitting behind them, snoozing away. <laughs> no, we have our own kayak, so I can't do that. Mm. Is there a lot of people involved in that particular filianning that you're in with the kayaking? Uh, yeah. The, so the Field of Shermendit is the one you're talking about there. And that is, uh, there's over 100,000 members. In, so so in free lift is basically outdoors, right? Yeah, so, and it can be walking and hill walking. And yeah, all exactly. So yeah. they run activities all around the country, um, for mainly in the skiing and uh, ice skating that in, during the winter. And during the summer, then it's uh, mountain biking. Uh, kayaking is a huge uh, section and, um, and hiking and, and hill walking as well. Uh, do, do you get involved in those things as well? Do you? No, I stick to the kayaking actually. Um, yeah. And uh, but I it's all there for you with free lifts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a really, really good organisation. Uh, they work to promote the promote nature, promote uh, an active life, promote public health, um, promote the benefits that you can get from being out in the outdoors, and they also promote uh, yeah, the the importance of nature and Almond's Lethen, which is yeah. probably one of the best things about Sweden. So that's a law that basically says you can wander across anybody's farm and you can pitch your tent pretty much anywhere as long as it can't be seen from a house. Yeah. And you can pick flowers and you can pick berries and all that kind of thing. But basically, don't be an arse about it. Right? Exactly. Don't go ruining everything for people. That, that's a know? great summary. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's worded a bit differently on the Feed Up Sermon, the website, but that's I, I pretty much say, the yeah, end. I wouldn't say that's a direct translation <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but it's wonderful. Yeah, it means that you have the right to be, right to roam, basically, and also to camp uh, almost anywhere as long as you're not disturbing anybody which is it's a gift it's a, it's a really precious thing about Sweden do you do a lot of camping and that kind of thing I do yeah the archipelago yeah. and that yeah. you know yeah 
Do you find it? Are you one of these people who sort of camping there going, oh, I wish this was slightly more comfortable? Or are you happy to be out there on a sort of a blow up mattress if there is one? I'm happy to be there, but I'm also happy to come home. That's the thing. You appreciate the creature comfort so much wherever you come. It's like, oh, running water. Yeah. The toilet, the flushes. <laughs> it's brilliant. The first night when you come home, it's like, oh, bed. Oh, yes. But, uh, yeah. but you love being out as well at the same time. It's, it's, it's that moment you stand in the shower when you've been out for mm. four days, and mm. you're just like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm mm. glad to be home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're out there, you don't care, though. That's the, and that's the beauty of it as well. What's the plan for the summer? Will there be plenty of time spent in the kayak then this summer? There will, yeah. Midsummer, hopefully, and then maybe some other uh, long trip during the summer as well. Where will you head off on midsummer in your kayak? Dollara, maybe. Dollara. Uh, or down by Nina's Ham. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And would you get down there, like, reasonably, you know, do you take the bus halfway and then just dump the kayak in, or? No, we take we take the car, I'm afraid, because uh, we have our own kayak, so they need to go on the roof. Yeah, hard yeah. to get them on a bus, unfortunately. This is true, yeah. They, <laughs> they don't appreciate that. No, no, it's a bit, bit awkward. Uh, they're five five metres long, so they're quite cumbersome. Yeah. And when you do get out there, like, you know, what would be the average distance you'd cover if you were in the kayak? About 20k a day. 20 it's, a nice, a day. it's a nice, comfortable pace, you know, with your plenty, of, you're not rushing in the morning, and you've got a nice long lunch, and then you're on, you're at your camp, set up your camp by six or seven, and then you've got the evening just to chill and can you basically sort of go ashore anywhere because of this almond's net then and yeah then, you, you know. can it's, a, it's amazing that's, uh, a, that's an incredibly cheap way of seeing the archipelago as well isn't it? it is brilliant yeah 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 i mean there's a lot of places that will rent them and i'm, I'm hoping that we can organize an event for the swedish irish society uh a kayaking tour because i'm a now a, a, i went on a leadership course through field of swimming that they they sponsored my leadership training last year I'm starting to see a theme now after the four or five years as the chairperson of Swedish Arts. Jesus, okay, well, I'll do it then. You know, that's it. <laughs> um, but I love I love helping people. I love getting bringing people out into the water for the first time and helping them experience kayaking and getting them to to try it out and stuff. It's it's great. Well, you know what? I'm going to put the old digital recorder in the plastic bag now. Oh, will we'll you come it. with us? I'll come with you Brilliant. and we'll do a live podcast. We'll do a podcast from there when you go out there. So count yeah. on me, you know, me and my dodgy back. So you'll have to have some young virile person who can sort of do most no of the No problem. Yeah, yeah, so we haven't, we haven't exactly booked a date yet, but I'm hoping it uh, will do an event with the, with the society at the end of the summer. Well, when you do do that, do let us know. But for now, Emma Patterson, thanks so much for coming in and talking to me. Thank you very much, Phil. It's been a pleasure. Talk to me about the hours. Talk to me about the next 22 odd hours then. Yeah, we go home now and get ourselves into a nice bed anyway. Um, cool get, ourselves down a bit after that. and Get a bit of steak. A bit of steak, yeah. The, the food is fantastic there. Like You can have steak for <laughs> breakfast, lunch and dinner with spuds if you like. Yeah. And, and have you... They've no care please, though. I'm next going mad. <laughs> yeah, we've had all sorts of stuff for breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> so hard to make the way? I don't know. We're only small beans. Yeah. But listen to me, talk to you about tomorrow, uh, seriously almost for a moment. Is it, is it, is it, is it dream come true territory? It really is, yeah. I yeah. suppose, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're taking it in our stride and we're enjoying it in one race at a time, you know. I mean, there was no point in us looking ahead to the final because we weren't there yet. And now we can look ahead to it and get excited about it and just go as fast as we can. And is that, is that the, the O'Donovan game plan, come out from the start and go as fast as you can? Or is there, is there, is there a, a strategy? I don't know. A more complicated strategy. Simple enough, You're really. too complex, really. <laughs> well, just, yeah, to be as fast as you can go. Close the eyes and pull like a dog. <laughs> Close the eyes and pull like a dog. The O'Donovan brothers there from the Rio Olympics. When was that? It was a 2016. By Jesus, I'm getting older by the minute, lads, and there's nothing I can do to slow it down. But the two cork boys there, their rowing is a lot different from kayaking. What Emma's doing out there is going to be an awful lot more, uh, ca- an awful lot calmer than what the O'Donovan brothers are. Now, you'd still like the bit of steak afterwards, and there's plenty of restaurants that you can go to that are Irish-owned in the city to get that. Oh, the Texas Longhorn boys might look after you. They have a few restaurants knocking about as well. Actually, I must see if I can find Tony Griffin. There's another man I should probably talk to before the summer right that is it for this week uh, as I say we continue to support one another out there and if you have any sort of a story whatsoever to tell and especially I'm addressing the women who listen to this podcast as well right because you are all very modest but you are as modest as you are brilliant and my Jesus A is brilliant right so like you've heard Emma today she got out of there you know uh, alive and everything else like that didn't massacre her altogether but your stories are definitely worth telling and I'd always encourage women to come on the program and to, to, to talk about their stories as well because lads as I said before it's usually no problem getting lads to talk but uh, the women take a little bit of convincing for some reason not uh, as prone to standing in the public eye so uh, feel free to break that duck and come on the Irish and Sweden podcast and talk about whatever you are doing right as I said before we had that M- interview with Emma there busy couple of weeks ahead so uh, I'm looking forward to bringing another podcast next week I think I know who it's going to be but you never know one of you might come up with a suggestion now you might come and say I oh, failed by the way I have to did you know about this did you know about this 
and chances are that I didn't and then you'll come on and tell everybody and say Jesus it'll be brilliant so yeah let's get those in the can now before the summer and we'll enjoy the fine weather I'm going out now to interview footballers or a football manager I can't remember which there's a call sheet around here that'll tell me that which I'll read briefly in the back of a car before I, uh, I get to talk to them so that's what I'll be up to uh, before I talk to you again next week so in the meantime look after yourselves look after one another and I'll be back again soon with another episode of the Irish in Sweden podcast good luck <laughs>